Welcome to the Dhamma Podcast. The audio recording that follows was recorded during S.N. Goenka's tour of North America in 2002, known as the Meditation Now Tour. This podcast will be updated monthly, with additional archives from S.N. Goenka's talks and questions and answer sessions, as well as other speakers discussing aspects of Vipassana meditation as taught by S.N. Goenka. This podcast is sponsored by Pariyati, a nonprofit publisher that offers written, audio, and video content and whose mission is to enrich the world by disseminating the words of the Buddha, providing sustenance for the seeker's journey, and illuminating the meditator's path. For more information regarding Pariyati, please go to www.pariyati.org. That is www.pariyati.org. For more information on Vipassana meditation, as taught by S. Goenka, including a schedule of courses offered throughout the world, please see www.dhamma.org. That is www.dhamma.org. Friends, we have all assembled here this evening to understand what is Vipassana and how does it help us in our day-to-day life And how is it relevant in today's world conditions? Vipassana is a very ancient technique of self-realization, truth-realization, realization of the truth pertaining to oneself, within oneself, by oneself, at the experiential level. It is not merely to understand the truth at the intellectual level, not merely to accept it at the devotional or emotional level, but at the actual level, experiential level. And that makes a big difference. Vipassana is applied spirituality. How to apply spirituality in the life? Teaching of spirituality is there in every religion. Spirituality means to generate, to uphold to enhance the human values, live a moral life, disciplined mind, a pure mind, full of love, compassion, goodwill, tolerance. This is the quintessence of every religion. When we go through the scriptures of the different religions in India, 26 centuries back, we find nearly all the religions of that time were preaching the same thing, live a moral life. That means abstain from all vocal and physical unwholesome actions which will harm others, 
which will hurt others, which will disturb the peace and harmony of others. And to perform wholesome actions which will help others, which will help to maintain the peace and harmony of the society. For that, one has to learn how to control the mind, one must be master of one's own mind. And not only that, one has to purify the mind. And a pure mind, by nature, is always full of love, compassion, goodwill. All positive emotions, the negative emotions are eradicated. That is spirituality, immoral life, it was there in the teaching of all the prevailing religions at that time and we find it is now in every religion worth the name. This quintessence is always there. But how to apply it in life? Accepting it theoretically, accepting it as very good but not applying it in life, then it doesn't help. Buddha taught a way, 26 centuries back, how to apply spirituality in life. The teaching of the teachers of those days was very clear. A human being is a social being, he has to live with the others in society, he has to live with others in the family. If he keeps on harming others, if he keeps on disturbing the peace and harmony of the society, how can he or she live in a peaceful atmosphere? So one should not do that. This teaching was there. Treat yourself same as others. If somebody performs any action which hurts you, which harms you, you don't like it, certainly you also perform such actions towards others, they won't like it. Don't do anything which you don't like, because others also don't like it. This teaching was there, already there. Then what contribution of Buddha? a big contribution. He gave this teaching a new dimension, very deep, very wide, by this technique of Vipassana. I was born in a very staunch, conservative Hindu family in Burma. I was brought up in that atmosphere where from the childhood I was taught that Buddha is wonderful because he is reincarnation of the God Almighty. We must pay respect to him. But his teaching, not good for us. Not good for us. 
with that kind of conditioning of the mind, I always abstained from the teaching of Buddha. But it so happened in my life that at the age of 31, I had to take a course of 10 days of Vipassana. I was very successful in my business in mid-twenties. And this went in my head. I become a very ego-centered person, a very hot-headed person, a very short-tempered person, making myself miserable, making others miserable. Lot of tension in the life. In spite of all the money, the comforts of the life, there was no peace, there was no harmony. And a very severe type of migraine developed. Every fortnight I will have a very severe attack of this migraine. And the best doctors in my country, they failed to help me. No painkiller will work. And they started giving me morphine injection. Every fortnight the attack will come. And they will give morphine injection, morphine injection. In a couple of years they started saying, now we have to give you morphine injection for your migraine attack. Very soon you have to take morphia for morphia. You will become morphia addict. But we are helpless. You keep on going for your business around the world every year. Forget business. Once you go around the world, get help from the West doctors in the West. They also won't have any treatment for the special type of migraine you are suffering. But certainly they will have some special painkiller and you will be relieved of the small fear. I was scared. I never wanted to become morphia addict. So I went around the world, spent a lot of time, a lot of money with the best doctors in Switzerland, in Germany, in England, here in this country, USA, and Japan. No result. Nobody could relieve me of morphia, relieving me from migraine far away, far away. When I returned, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, he was the first attorney general of, of independent Burma. Later on, he became judge of the Supreme Court. He pressed me, your problem is psychosomatic. You live such a tense life. Take a course of 10 days and you will be out of it. The mind will become calm, tranquil, pure, and you will be relieved of migraine, I'm sure. It sounded quite good, but then I hesitated. The teaching is Buddha's teaching. This is Buddhist. And I am a staunch Hindu. How can I take this? I was trained from my childhood. In Gita, I was trained. Better die in your own religion than go to any other religion. So I better die in my migraine, but I won't go. I won't go. And the suffering was there. Pressure from my friend was there. He persuaded me, at least you meet the teacher. What harm? I said, yes, I meet the teacher. I met my teacher. 
He was also a government officer, high official. He was first accountant general of independent Burma. Then I met him, a very saintly person, very saintly, full of love, compassion. When I met him at his residence, the entire atmosphere was so peaceful, so harmonious. I placed my difficulty before him, that, sir, I am a Hindu, and we are taught from the childhood Buddhism is not good. Buddha is good, Buddhism is not good. How can I take this course? He smiled and he said, you are a leader of the Hindu community in Burma. Tell me, is there any objection in your religion to live a moral life? Moral life? What objection, sir? No religion in the world will object to live a moral life. No objection. But how can you live a moral life unless you have control over your mind? I will teach you for these 10 days how to live a moral life and how to control the mind. How to become master of your mind. Now you are a slave of your mind. I will make you the master of your mind. We call it Samadhi. Any objection? What objection? If somebody teaches me how to become master of my own mind, wonderful, no objection. That alone will not help. When you control your mind, when you concentrate your mind, it becomes very calm, very tranquil, and also pure, but only at the surface level, or slightly deeper level, but at the depth of the mind, you have an unwholesome behavior pattern where you keep on generating defilement after defilement and you remain disturbed all the time at the root level of the mind. Unless that is changed, you are not relieved of your misery. You feel very peaceful at the surface, but who knows when? There will be volcanic eruption, and again you are the same as before. So I will teach you how to purify the mind, the totality of the mind, down to the deepest level. Any objection? What objection there can be? No objection. Nothing else. We teach only these three, morality, mastery over the mind, purification of the total mind, this is what Buddha taught. I said, all right, let me give a trial. Let me see. And I gave a trial of 10 days. I was so fortunate. This migraine was a blessing in disguise. Every day I found the teaching is so rational, so scientific. No blind faith is involved. No dogma is involved, no cult is involved. It is an exercise of mind to make the mind healthy, pure, to understand the interaction of mind and matter at the deepest level and purify it in a very scientific way and result-oriented. Within 10 days, the morphia was gone. The migraine was gone, but that was a very little, small achievement.
big achievement was a big change started coming in my life pattern the habit pattern started changing such an angry person hot headed person not that in 10 days everything went away started diminishing 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 and all positive qualities love compassion goodwill for others which i never experienced in my life that started developing i was so fascinated and nobody told me that i must get myself converted from hindu religion to buddhist religion my teacher kept on saying this is not not to convert people from one organized religion to another organized religion conversion is of course involved but the conversion is from misery to happiness the conversion is from ignorance to enlightenment the conversion is from bondage to liberation the conversion is from cruelty to compassion which is acceptable to everyone everyone i was so pleased and no looking back i continued continued as i continued it became clearer and clearer that these very teachings were there in the tradition of the hindu religion in which i was born and brought up live the life of morality shila we call have control over the mind samadhi we call purify the mind pragya we call all that is there but what speciality buddha gave that became clearer and this was the discovery of vipassana he discovered certain realities which were not known to the people before him at the time of him to investigate the truth about oneself the truth about this physical structure the truth about this mental structure at the experiential level the entire technique is to realize the truth many saints and sages and seers have been saying know thyself know thyself i was wondering what they are saying know thyself i know myself i am going god i am as and going god what more no 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 scripture says that you are immortal soul that you are god almighty maybe but i am not experienced and now i was told explore the truth at the experiential level whatever it is this physical structure to which one keeps on saying i mine i mine so much of identification with this material corporeal structure this mental structure one keeps on identifying itself oneself with this i mine i mine and tremendous amount of attachment towards this physical structure the mental structure understand what it is not just because the teacher is saying not just because buddha has said so not just because the scripture says so by your experience and the technique starts with that 
whenever any one of you will decide to take advantage of this very ancient technique, result-oriented technique, scientific technique. You have to spare 10 days of your life because it is a very delicate job to make a surgical operation of the mind from the surface to the depth and to understand with the analytical study of the interaction of mind and matter how mind keeps on influencing the matter and how matter keeps on influencing the mind and one does not know what is happening one is working only at the surface level of the mind the conscious mind coming in contact with outside objects but one doesn't know what is happening inside which is much more important so whenever you come to a course of 10 days you have to start exploring the truth about yourself you will be asked to sit down sit down comfortably in any posture any posture that keeps you comfortable for a longer period at a stretch is a good posture for you not necessary lotus posture or half lotus posture if someone can sit comfortably in lotus posture go ahead nothing wrong otherwise any posture that keeps you comfortable for longer periods at a stretch is a good posture for you keep your back and neck straight whenever you find bend down straighten up this helps you to keep the mind very attentive keep the eyes gently closed keep the mouth gently closed now there is no physical action no vocal action what reality what reality you experience about yourself the first reality that you experience is the breath coming in the breath going out truth this is a truth about your body about your mind start observing it just observe the truth of the breath as it is natural truth natural breath normal breath don't interfere with the natural flow of the breath don't make it a breathing exercise that is totally different type of meditation different type of practice we call it pranayam you control the breath it is advantageous it is good we don't condemn but this technique is totally opposite to pranayam the technique is to develop your faculty to observe the reality as it is if the breath is deep it is deep just accept it is deep if it is shallow it is shallow if it passes through left nostril left nostril right nostril right nostril just keep on observing keep on feeling do nothing the reality as it is and mere breath bare breath nothing but breath no verbalization no visualization no imagination no speculation no suggestions outer suggestions or outer suggestion no imposition of any philosophical belief this philosophical belief or that philosophical belief the truth as you experience the breath coming in the breath going out as it is like someone sitting at the bank of the river and the river is flowing the river is flowing 
One does nothing for the flow of the river. Natural flow is there. One is sitting at the bank and just observing the flow of the river. Similarly, keep your attention at the entrance of the nostril. Just observe the flow of the respiration coming in, going out, do nothing. So easy. One has to do nothing. Everything is happening naturally. Breath coming in naturally, going out naturally. One just to observe. One should just be aware of it. So easy. But whenever you will come to a course, you will find so difficult, so difficult. You will hardly observe a couple of breaths and the mind is gone somewhere. And then you realize what happened. I was here to observe the breath. And what happened? And you again start. And hardly a few seconds, again the mind is gone somewhere. We find not all, not all, but many of the students, new students on the first day, they get very frustrated, very irritated, start generating negativity towards oneself, towards their own mind. What sort of mind I am carrying? This simple job, just to observe the breath. It doesn't want to do even this. Then the guide will say, no, don't generate negativity. Negativity is negativity. Whether you generate towards somebody else or towards yourself, it makes you miserable. Don't do that. Just accept the reality. You are observing the breath, observing the breath, mind wandered away. When you realize, oh, it has wandered away, accept the effect. Oh, the mind at this moment has wandered away. So what? I still have my breath. I start again, start again. Again the mind wanders away and you realize it has wandered away. Accept the fact, come back to breath. Like this very patiently, persistently one keeps on working. Second day slightly better, third day much better. Not that the mind has become totally calm and tranquil, but much better compared to the first day. And one notices that the breath, at the apparent level, it looks, it is a physical function. The lungs are functioning, and that is why I am getting breath coming in, going out. But no, it has something to do with the mind also. It is very strongly related to mind, and more strongly related to mental impurities. This becomes clearer and clearer as you keep on observing the breath. You are observing the breath and the mind wanders away in some thought of the past, of the future, and you react, you generate some anger or fear or some impurity or the other, and you will notice the breath has lost its normality. It is no more normal. It has become slightly hard, slightly fast. And when that impurity has passed away, again it becomes normal, so it becomes clear. The breath is strongly related to the body, no doubt, but also strongly related to the mind. And the whole process is to understand how the mind and matter, how they are functioning, the interrelation of mind and matter, how impurity arises, how it multiplies, how it overpowers you, all that at the experiential level. Therefore, this enlightened person started with the awareness of the breath. There are many objects, and there were many objects at that time with the help of which the mind could be trained to get concentrated. 
but he gave this object because one has to go at a much deeper level to understand the interaction of mind and matter. Nothing else should be involved. Only mind, matter, mind, matter. The truth about mind, matter, mind, matter. But by the third day one finds the breath becomes subtler and subtler, finer and finer, shorter and shorter, like a thin thread. As it comes out, so it starts going in. So subtle. And mind is working, observing it, observing it. So mind also becomes subtler and subtler. More and more sensitive. And by the end of the third day, it becomes so sensitive. It starts experiencing subtler realities. Subtler realities which one had never experienced before on this area. Because one was working on a small area with the awareness of the truth, no imagination. If you start working with an imagination, then you get involved in a bigger imagination. Mind gets concentrated, no doubt. But the exploration of truth about my interaction of mind and matter, you miss it. So you are just aware of the truth of the breath as it is. And on a small area, the mind has become very sharp very sensitive and starts experiencing something happening in this area. Not only in this area, the entire body, every moment, there is some biochemical reaction or the other taking place, some electromagnetic reaction taking place every moment, which keeps on manifesting itself as this sensation or that sensation. You start feeling different kinds of sensation in this area. Heat, perspiration, throbbing, pulsing, vibrating, tingling, different kinds of sensations, which are always there. Your mind is able to feel only very gross, solidified, intensified, unpleasant sensations like pain, pressure, heaviness. But there are so many subtler sensations deeper, deeper when you go in the body. Very subtle oscillation is going on. The ordinary mind cannot feel it. So you have to train the mind for these ten, for these three days first, train the mind to become very sensitive. Very sensitive to feel the truth as it is. You started feeling sensations here. Fourth day, from morning, you start working with the top of the head to the tips of the toes. You keep feeling sensations everywhere. There are sensations everywhere throughout the body. Initially one comes across very gross solidified sensations like pain, pressure, etc. One keeps on observing, observing. Another part of the technique is you are aware of what is happening and at the same time you don't react. You maintain perfect equilibrium of your mind, perfect equipoise of your mind, perfect balance of your mind. You come across very unpleasant sensation, don't react with aversion. The old habit pattern was that whenever you experience something unpleasant, you react with aversion, hatred, aversion, hatred. And on the fifth day, sixth day, seventh day, you start feeling very pleasant sensations, a flow of very pleasant, subtle vibrations throughout the body. 
don't generate craving and clinging. The old habit pattern was whenever you experience anything pleasant, you start reacting with craving, clinging, craving, clinging. Now one is taught just observe, remain equanimous. Equanimous with the understanding. Look what is happening. Every sensation, gross or subtle, pleasant or unpleasant, every sensation has the same characteristic. Characteristic of arising, passing away, arising, passing away. It is not eternal. However gross solidified sensation it may be, it arises, seems to stay for some time, but sooner or later passes away. It is not eternal. And when you come across very subtle wavelets, vibrations, that also same characteristic, arising, passing, arising, passing, now with great rapidity, very high velocity, characteristic remains the same. What is the sense in reacting to something which is constantly changing? Even if it is pleasant, what is the sense to react with craving or clinging? Even if it is unpleasant, what is the sense of reacting with aversion or hatred? You start coming out of your old habit of generating craving, aversion, craving, aversion. Not that one becomes perfect, but a beginning is made. One finds that most of the time, because of the old habit, one keeps on reacting, craving, aversion, aversion, craving. But again, one comes to senses, oh, no, no, no reaction, I must observe. Let me keep on observing, observing objectively the sensation as sensation. Don't identify yourself with the sensation, no I, no mine. A sensation is a sensation. And its characteristic is arising, passing, arising, passing. Just keep on understanding this at the experiential level. Working on it, working on it. Initially, as I said, very gross sensations will arise. But more and more you are equanimous, you find the mind becomes sharper and sharper. As it becomes very sharp at the entrance of the nostril, it becomes still sharper. When you are with the whole body, part by part, part by part, everywhere, and you are not only attentive, not only aware, you are equanimous. Equanimous. Every moment that you are equanimous, mind is becoming sharper, sharper. Law of nature starts working. The solidity of the body, which looks so solid, and the sensations that arise, so solidified, pain, pressure, heaviness, they start getting disintegrated, disintegrated, dissolved, dissolved. The entire solidity is gone. The entire physical structure, outside, inside, is nothing but wavelets, wavelets, vibration, vibration. One wonders, this person, enlightened person, this was his enlightenment. I call him a super scientist, super scientist of the field of spirituality, super scientist to understand the interaction of mind and matter, super scientist to understand how misery arises, how it multiplies, how it overpowers us, and how we can get rid of misery from the root level, get eradicated. The misery gets eradicated. A super scientist, 26 centuries back, without any modern scientific apparatus or instrument, he discovers 
by his own experience, by his insight. There is no solidity in this body. Entire body which looks so solid actually is very tiny particles, particles throughout the body, mere particles. And he uses the word kalapa for that, which now we say atom. Kalapa is the tiniest particle of the material world. And he says this also is not solid. Even the tiniest particle constantly changing, arising, passing, arising, passing, mere wavelets, mere wavelets. Our scientist during the last one and a half century has come to the same truth. The entire universe, the material universe, there is no solidity at all. Mere wavelets, wavelets, wavelets. He experienced it. And he gave a technique where everybody can experience it. The entire material structure is mere wavelets, wavelets, wavelets. And so also the mind is nothing but wavelets, wavelets, wavelets. And the mental contents, whatever comes in the mind is also wavelets, wavelets, wavelets. Entire universe, mere wavelets, wavelets, vibration, vibration. Vibration of this wavelength or that wavelength. Vibration of this velocity or that velocity, but mere wavelets, vibration, vibration. When one reaches that stage, which is called the stage of bhanga, that means dissolution, entire mind and matter is dissolved to mere vibrations. Mind also solidified. When emotion comes, it is so solidified, and the technique wants to just observe, just observe, do nothing, and it gets divided, dissected, disintegrated, dissolved, dissolved, mere vibration. Then a stage comes, you will find the entire world is mere vibration, mere vibration. The world comes in contact with us only through these sense doors. A shape, a form, a color, a light comes in contact with the eye sense door. A sound comes in contact with the ear sense door. A smell comes in contact with the nose sense door. A taste comes in contact with the tongue sense door. Something tangible comes in contact with the body sense door. Some thought or emotion comes in contact with the mind sense door. What happens? A good meditator, maybe in the first ten days, maybe in two ten days, reaches the stage of this total dissolution and starts experiencing a sound has come in contact with the ears. Immediately a part of the mind, there are four aggregates of the mind. One aggregate of the mind will raise its head. Its job is to cognize. Hey, something has happened. Something has happened at the ear sense door. And then the second, another part of the mind. But as soon as this first part of the mind cognizes that something has come and the ear sense door, there is a sensation. There is a vibration in the whole body. There was already vibration in the whole body. Now another neutral vibration because of the contact of the sound coming in contact with the ear. Another part of the mind, another aggregate of the mind, which recognizes what sound? Oh, these are words. With all the experience of the past, with all the memory of the past, this part of the mind recognizes this is sound. What sound? Words. What words? Words of insult. Words of praise and gives evaluation. The word of insult, very bad. 
the word of praise ah wonderful and one notices that as soon as the valuation is given very bad the flow neutral flow of vibration starts changing very bad very unpleasant sensation throughout the body a flow of very unpleasant sensation praise wonderful very good and these vibrations change into very pleasant sensation throughout the body there is a flow of very pleasant sensation third part of the mind starts feeling these sensations pleasant and pleasant then immediately the fourth part will raise its head this all happens so quickly to differentiate them not easy but this is what one understands as one progresses on the path the fourth part starts reacting very unpleasant sensation and reacts aversion hatred i don't like it aversion aversion pleasant sensation ah wonderful i like it craving clinging craving clinging at the apparent level one feels that i am reacting to the words of abuse words of insult i am reacting to the words of praise yes at the apparent level it is true but this enlightened person says no this was accepted by all the traditions of those days in india every tradition was saying don't react to the sensual objects of outside when they come in contact with the senses don't react with craving or aversion the teaching was there and this great scientist he says no you are not reacting to the outside objects you are reacting to the sensations on your body when this outside object come in contact with your body a sensation arises pleasant unpleasant according to the valuation that you has given to this sensation to this object and then only you generate craving aversion craving aversion one has to go to that depth where one feels the sensation and trains the mind not to react constantly day and night throughout the body there are sensations pleasant unpleasant neutral pleasant unpleasant neutral whether one is asleep or awakened sitting or standing walking or lying eating or drinking in every position every moment there are sensations throughout the body but conscious the surface mind is a no what's happening at the deep so called unconscious mind it is not unconscious all the time all the time it keeps on feeling feeling the sensation reacting with craving aversion craving aversion unless we change the habit pattern of this mind at the root level one is not out of the misery every time one generates craving one loses the peace and harmony of the mind one loses the balance of the mind one becomes miserable every time one generates aversion one becomes miserable and that habit pattern is there all the time we keep on enjoying ourselves at the surface level of the mind with this sensual pleasure that sensual pleasure deep inside what is happening we don't know and this is what he called avidya that is ignorance one does not know what is happening deep inside and one keeps on harming oneself without knowing that i am harming myself unless you realize that you are harming yourself how will you come out of that habit so this technique takes you to the depth to the depth where this constant reaction is going on constant misery constant misery disturbance surface level you made very calm by this technique or that technique or by diverting your attention to something that you like this or that but deep inside what is happening 
constant disturbance, constant disturbance. Unless you go to that stage and feel yourself, look what's happening. And you change your habit pattern at the root level. He said, you have got a very huge poisonous tree in your compound. You don't like it. You cut it off. So what? If there are roots, another will sprout. Another tree will sprout. More trees will sprout. You are not liberated from that poison. So go to the root. That was a great contribution of this person. Go to the root and purify the mind at the root level. Change the habit pattern at the root level. Entire mind will automatically get changed. Because the habit pattern starts at the root level. And then another reality which became very evident by his experience and he taught and every Vipassana meditator can experience. Whenever something arises in the mind, it cannot arise without a sensation on the body. Law of nature. Law of nature is such. It cannot arise. It becomes clearer and clearer. I have generated anger and with a good Vipassana meditation, I understand. I experience. When anger is a reason, lot of burning sensation. Palpitation has increased. Tension could build up. I feel miserable. I feel miserable. What I'm doing? I'm harming myself. I'm making myself miserable. Nobody wants to live a miserable life. And yet, out of ignorance, without knowing what is happening deep inside, one has read all the scriptures. One has understood the religion, one has understood the, the spirituality at the intellectual level, emotional level, devotional level, but not experienced the truth. Now you experience the truth. My habit pattern is generating nothing but misery, misery, one starts coming out of that. Out of ignorance I touch the flame, the fire. My hand burns. I don't like it. I may make this mistake twice, thrice, then I learn. This is fire, it burns, don't touch, don't touch. Similarly, when you keep on experiencing, I generate negativity. And I am the first victim of my negativity. Look, I become so miserable. I become so miserable. The habit pattern naturally starts changing, changing. You come out of the negativities. All negative emotions slowly become weaker, 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 and they pass away. Mind becomes purer and purer. Again, the law of nature is such. When the mind becomes pure, by nature, it gets filled with love, love, compassion, goodwill, love, compassion, goodwill, tolerance, good quality, good quality of a human being. That cannot come by mere sermons, by discussing in these discourses, or even by reading books. One has to experience that. And a technique was given how to experience the truth within yourself. The law of nature becomes very clear. Or you may call it the law of the God Almighty becomes very clear. And the law is that you keep your mind pure, free from impurity. If you break this law, that means if you generate any impurity in the mind, you are punished then and there. You break the law of the country, you are a citizen of a country, and you break the law, you are punished, but it may take a long time. The case goes from one court to the other, and appeals and all that may take years together, and sometimes you may not get any punishment. Law of God, the law of nature is such, you are punished then and there. 
the moment you break the law, the moment you make the mind defiled, you are punished to become miserable. One can start experiencing it. Look, I got the punishment. Here is self. And the moment you are free from the defilement, you start getting reward here and now. Here and now you get the reward. So much of peace, so much of harmony. It becomes so clear. I am carrying the hellfire within myself. And I keep on multiplying this hellfire and keep on suffering. I am carrying the kingdom of heaven within myself. Because of ignorance, I cannot experience, cannot experience the peace of this kingdom of heaven within. And this technique makes one to purify the mind and experience the kingdom of heaven within. Acceptable by all the religions of the world. So non-sectarian, anybody can practice. When you are practicing the awareness of the breath, non-sectarian. How can you say this breath is Hindu or Muslim or Christian or Jewish? Breath is breath. And later on when you start experiencing a, a impurity coming in the mind, anger has arisen. You can't say this is Hindu anger or Buddhist anger, Christian anger. And the misery that you feel also you can't give it a label. And when that impurity is gone away, misery has gone away, mind has become pure, and you feel peace and harmony, again, what label you will give? This is law of nature. If you keep on understanding, the whole law of the nature is so non-sectarian. That is why the technique that was founded, non-sectarian, so scientific, no blind faith is involved. You experience yourself, and then accept whatever reality you are experiencing. Not because your teacher says so, not because anybody else says so, you are experiencing yourself. Look, this is burning fire. I must get rid of it. This is hellfire. I can't bear it. I must get rid of it. This is kingdom of heaven. Ah, so peaceful. So harmonious. And whenever you generate negativity and become miserable, you never keep that misery limited to yourself. You keep on throwing on others. You make the entire atmosphere so tense. Anybody who comes in contact at that time becomes miserable because you are generating negativity, anger, hatred. So also, when your mind is pure and you generate peace, harmony, the whole atmosphere gets permeated with peace, with harmony. Anybody comes in contact with you feels peace, feels harmony, a way of life, a good way of life. Human values, you uphold the human values, you increase the human values. Start living a good life, a life good for you and good for others. The whole technique is to live a good life, to become a good human being. A Christian remains a Christian, a Hindu, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Muslim, a Jewish, a Jewish. But one becomes a good human being. Unless one is a good human being, how can he be a good Christian or good Buddhist or good Hindu or good Muslim? It is for all. As we do physical exercises, yoga or anything else to keep our body healthy, a mental exercise to keep the mind healthy, sound, harmonious, full of love, compassion, positive qualities. Anybody can practice and that is why there is no religion in the world today whose followers are not coming to take courses in Vipassana, 10-day courses. No religion. Even the leaders of every religion are coming. Up till now, more than 2,000 Christian priests and nuns have participated. And every year, they are coming. 
so also Hindu leaders, so also Jain leaders, Buddhist leaders, from every community. And they find it is same. This is our religion. This is what our religion also teaches. I remember the first group of Christian missionary who came, there was a very elderly mother superior. At the end of the course, she says, Goinka, you are teaching Christianity in the name of Buddha. I am teaching spirituality, which is for everyone the same. Everyone the same. It gives result. Result, same result to everyone. You may belong to this community or that community. You are black or white or brown or yellow, makes no difference. You are an American or a Russian or Indian or Pakistani, makes no difference. You are a male or female, makes no difference. Human being is human being. Human mind is human mind. Out of ignorance, without knowing what I am doing, one keeps on generating nothing but misery, misery. And out of enlightenment, by understanding what is happening, one comes out of that habit pattern and generates positive, positive emotions, love, compassion, goodwill, a way of life, a healthy way of life, an art of living, how to live peacefully and harmoniously within, and how to generate nothing but peace and harmony for the atmosphere outside, so that others can also live in peace and harmony. But to learn this technique, one has to spare ten days of their life, because it is a very delicate job. Three days are required to make the mind very sharp, to feel everything within the framework of the body. And then you have to train your mind to feel those sensations and train it to change the habit pattern, not to react, not to react. Just observe, just observe. It takes time. Ten days are necessary. All of you who have spared so much time to understand what this technique is at the intellectual level, I am sure you will find ten days of your life to experience this technique for your good, for your benefit, and maybe through you, for the good and benefit of so many others, so many others. May all of you enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness, real happiness. Oh, you already have questions. Good. Good, good, good. Thank you. How long does it take to reach enlightenment? <laughs> Every step that you take on the path is enlightenment. You are understanding the truth. The ignorance is passing away. You don't lose. Any effort made on this path gives fruit. So it is a process of gradual getting enlightenment. Enlightened gradually, gradually, till you reach total enlightenment and that will come as you keep on proceeding on the path. No time limit can be given. Are you a guru? By guru if you mean that you surrender to the guru, as many of the gurus say, surrender to me and I will liberate you. You are such a weak person, how can you liberate yourself? I will liberate you. Then there is something wrong. This person wants to exploit you. Never remain under the clutches of a guru. A guru is just to show you the path. If somebody has walked on the, on the path and has experienced, will only show the path. You have to take every step on the path. You have to work out your liberation. None, nobody else can liberate you. So in that sense, I am not a guru. Gurudam is not promoted in this technique. 
I am a Vipassana meditator. I want to go to India for more serious practice. But my parents are sick and old. Is it more important to help my parents or develop Dhamma? Help your parents. Very important. Very important. And while here, why go to India? There are serious courses here also. Understand where a long course is being given, serious course is being given, and join there. But don't, don't miss the service of your parents. That is so important. At the old age, they require your service. Why do you and your old students continue to visit Burma despite its human right violations? We don't go for any political reasons. We go there. This is a country with so wonderful vibration. This is the only country in the world which maintained the purity of this technique. Very few people maintained. From teacher to pupil, from teacher to pupil, from generation to generation. And there are many places, wonderful vibration there. So we go there for pilgrimage to experience good vibrations there. We have nothing to do with politics. Somebody belonging to this political group or that political group, I feel all are miserable. Everyone needs Vipassana. Vipassana helps everyone. Please explain how your courses are funded. How they are funded? There is no price tag for the teaching. This is so priceless. How can we have any price for that? Nothing is charged for the teaching. Nothing is charged even for the boarding and lodging. It is a residential course. But at the end of the course, a student feels that it gave me so much benefit. And one feels the compassion arises in the mind. There are miserable people around the world. More and more people come to such, such technique and get liberated from the misery. And with that volition, healthy volition, pure volition, one donates. And like this, the courses are being held. Nobody asks any money. Nobody even questions what money one has given. Nobody questions if no money is given. There are so poor people in India who join the courses, poorest of the poor. How can one expect any money from them? And if you put any, any tag, price tag on that, these poor people will never get Dhamma. Dhamma is for all rich and poor. Therefore, from the tradition, from the time of Buddha, no charges for the teaching. The moment any charge is fixed, any money is fixed for that, then the efficacy, the purity is gone. Never make, it, these are the words of Buddha, never make this technique, never make dharma a commercial commodity. Don't try to make benefit out of it. Just give one bit of it, give. Is a person qualified to practice metta when they are experiencing a physical pain in the body that cannot be eased when shifting body position? Granted that this person remains equanimous with this pain during meditation. If one is equanimous, then even if there is pain, the vibration of love can be generated, but usually we find when there is no pain, when the entire body is feeling very pleasant sensations, you are feeling peace and harmony with yourself. And the metta, this technique of giving 
love and compassion for others is sharing your peace and harmony. You experience peace and harmony, you want to share with others. So better, the method that you practice when your mind is full of peace and harmony is more effective. Please speak about true love. True love. There is no trace of passion in true love. No trace of passion, no trace of lust. True love is so pure. Without expecting anything in return, it's one way traffic you give. You give, just give. This is true love. And the moment you start expecting something, it's a commercial love. You give something and expect something in return, not pure. Make it a pure love. Do you believe capitalism is internally destructive? And how does your belief influence your work with CEOs? <laughs> As I said, it is for all, capitalist or non-capitalist. I had passed through that. When a very rich person comes to my course, I, in my mind, I say, a very miserable person has come. Very miserable. Mere money will not make you experience the peace and harmony within. All the time there's agitation. So much of ego. All the time ego centers. I pass through all that, so I know. So this technique is required for everybody. Rich or poor makes no difference. And you find in the courses, very rich people are there and very poorest of the poor are there. Highly educated are there and very illiterate people are there. Men, women, all, all are there. It makes no difference. Everyone who generates impurity in the mind is a miserable person and this technique helps you to come out of misery, come out of impurities. Are there any fully enlightened people living today who have practiced this technique? Yes, fortunately I have come across one such person, but it takes time. It is not just a case of a life from so many lives one keeps on practicing, practicing, practicing and in this life one gets pushed keeps on enlightening oneself and reach the final goal maybe in this life itself or maybe in the next life at the time of Buddha most of his prominent disciples renounced worldly life to dedicate themselves to practice where is the place for this type of renunciation in modern life if somebody renounces the worldly life, that means he has got all the time now, no more responsibility. Then can give full time. We pay respect to such person. But everybody cannot renounce the world. This is equally helpful to the householders. And I feel more helpful to the householders. Because householders have got so much responsibility in life, so much ups and downs, vicissitudes are in their life how to maintain the balance of the mind in these vicissitudes. Therefore, in India there is a lot of talk that Buddha's teaching is only for the monks and nuns, non monks and nuns, not for the householders, not for the householders. I have to tell them, no, it is for the householders. And that is why I carry with me such a big testimonial that I am a householder. And this technique is good for the householders. It benefits everybody. Monks and nuns, they have got nothing else to do. This is what they have to do. But the householders also, in spite of all their multifarious responsibilities, they find time to work and live a good life, a better life. Are you enlightened? 
If I say I'm enlightened, will you believe? Or if I say not enlightened, then you run away, this person is not enlightened. How? What he will teach us? Everyone gets enlightened as they step, step by step, step by step, a gradual enlightenment. When I see my past, 1955, when I took my first course, before that, what sort of life I was living, and after that, what a big change come. So that's why I say this is a path of enlightenment, good for everybody. Give a trial yourself and see whether you're getting enlightened or not. Yep. As parents, how do we begin to impart this wisdom to our children? Before the birth. Before the birth, pregnant mother should take a course and she comes not only for her own benefit, she comes for the benefit of the child also. When one is meditating in a pregnant stage, what vibration? Good vibration, purification, love, compassion. The message you are given to the child, wonderful message. But at that time in pregnancy, if one generates anger, hatred, passion, fear, ego, what message you are giving? The child will be very miserable the whole life. So it is good to give the good message to the child before birth. So that the child comes out as a good human being, Many pregnant mothers come to the course and say, I want a good Dhamma baby, and they get Dhamma baby. And that's the proper time. After work, I often enjoy a locally brood ale. Do you think this is compatible with spiritual life? You practice Vipassana, and you will find it is such a big hindrance for you. You can't observe the reality within yourself. And you want to observe the reality. And you create a situation where such thick curtains are coming and you can't feel anything. It becomes a big hindrance for you. And as you progress on the path, automatically you'll be out of this alcohol. People come in the courses, they want to come out of alcohol. Very alcoholics, they say, I'm very much addicted to alcohol. And I hear that by Vipassana, people come, down, come out of alcohol, please help. I say, no, you are not addicted to alcohol, wrong. You are addicted to the body sensations. When you take alcohol, there's a kind of sensation in the body, very pleasant, and you enjoy it, and every time you like to have it again. You want to enjoy the sensation again, you keep on taking alcohol. Apparent level, it looks you are addicted to alcohol, actually you are addicted to the body sensation. If you start observing the body sensation and don't react to it, the addiction goes away and you are out of alcoholic addiction and so many people are coming out of such addictions, not only alcohol but so many other intoxicants. Do people who go to the 10-day meditation experience, memories of abuse, do they talk about it? No question of talking about it, a big impact there in the mind, any kind of impact that you have, very deep impact, it will come on the surface by this technique. You are observing it. You are not reacting to it. It becomes weaker, weaker, weaker and passes away. The memory will remain, but the pain that you are experiencing because of that unwholesome memory, that goes away. That goes away. So Vipassana helps you to come out of all sorts of misery. And this is a very big misery that you all the time you are painful for something happened in your childhood. How do you feel? feel about using 
psychoactive substance like LSD with meditation? You want to take LSD? People have come. In those days, early 70s, the hippie cult came to India, large number, taking LSD, LSD. And when they started practicing, what experience we get in LSD? We are getting the same experience in Vipassana. And here we are own masters. And in LSD, the LSD is the master, we are slaves. So don't be slave. Be your own master and come out of all sorts of slaveries. What is the place of uh, supernatural powers in Vipassana? All supernatural powers feel so happy if they are really, really supernatural healthy powers, whatever you call by, by any name. They have got good vibration. And when you start generating good vibration, you get tuned up with them. And you got starting, start getting all this support from them. God helps those who help themselves. So start helping yourself and all superpowers will help you. <laughs> Would you please explain the meaning of Dhamma? What does it mean when people say Dhamma works? Dhamma is law of nature, universal law of nature. If this, this is there, this result is bound to come. A scientific law of nature. If there is ignorance and one does not know what is happening deep inside, one keeps on generating defilement, misery is bound to come. If one comes out of this ignorance and understands what one is doing inside and changes the habit pattern, the misery goes away. This is law of nature. And you experience that law of nature by your own practice. And that's how you change the habit pattern of the mind. The law of nature, the fire, nature of the fire is to burn. Similarly, the nature of anger, negativity is to burn, to make you unhappy. And when you start experiencing it, you start getting rid of it. How and where do you prepare your assistant teachers? Well, people who are practicing for a long time, it takes years together. And where I find that they are getting established in this technique. And also I find that they are able to generate pure love, compassion, goodwill for others. Selfless, without expecting anything in return. I also have to see, have to see that this person whom I will train as an assistant teacher has got a independent means of livelihood. If one does not have independent means of livelihood, then after teaching something, he will start asking money for my livelihood, for my children, for my family, for, and all that. That will spoil the whole teaching. So with taking all that in consideration, it takes time. Then people are trained. Now there are about 700 assistant teachers around the world who are trained well, selflessly. They are giving service without expecting anything in return. So many questions, but these are the last ones that we have time for. Good. So after this, I am liberated. Yes, you are. Good. <laughs> Good. As a Buddhist, how can I combine Vipassana with the meditation I already do? The word Buddhist is again creates a lot of confusion. Buddha never used this word. We have got all the words of Buddha, 15,000 pages put in CD-ROM and commentaries and sub-commentaries, another 35,000 pages. The word Buddhism is missing. The word Buddhist is missing. He teaches only Dhamma, the law of nature. And those who follow are Dhammists, they follow the law of nature. Anyhow, I don't know when and how this word 
Till 500 years after Buddha, this word was never used by anybody. Not even by those who were against Buddha's teaching. Nobody used this. How it started, when it started. But people now, those who are using it, they understand that by Buddhism we say the Dhamma. Anyhow, when you are really understanding what Buddha taught, you will find that his contribution to the world was Vipassana. His contribution to the world was the awareness of sensation on the body. This is where, this is a point, when you feel sensation and you are ignorant, you generate nothing but misery for you. And this is a point, you feel the sensation and you don't react, you are coming out of your misery. And if you miss the awareness of sensation, and if you miss the ability to remain equanimous with the sensation, you are not a follower of Buddha. You may call yourself Buddhist, it doesn't help. Work as Buddha wanted you to work and come out of your misery, then whether you call yourself Buddhist or any name, it makes no difference. Human being is human being. Everyone gets the same result. When meditating, how can one differentiate between injurious pain and gross sensations on the body? Well, even there is injurious pain. We don't say that don't go to a doctor. We don't want the business of doctors to stop. Go to the doctors, discuss with them, but keep your mind, again, equanimous, equanimous. Even if it is a pure body pain, like there is a, say, cancer, so painful, and we have seen very terminal cases of, of pain in, in cancer, and they observe, they observe. They don't take any sedative medicine to become unconscious. They keep on observing and die smilingly. There are about 20 cases we get information from their relatives. They die smilingly. So it's the art of dying. How to die? How to die peacefully? How to die without crying, without fear? Art of dying. But for that you have to learn art of living first. You learn art of living, then art of dying will automatically be there. So if there is pain, Pain because of your meditation, some deep pain is coming on the surface, observe it. But if it is a physical pain due to some, some injury or due to some disease, then also keep the mind equanimous and get treatment from the doctors. Isn't the 10-day course another stumbling block towards enlightenment or towards God? Why stumbling block? It takes you nearer and nearer to enlightenment. That means it takes you nearer and nearer to the God. Spare ten days and you will find how you are coming nearer to the God. Whether we know or not, thoughts arise and pass away. What choice do we have? Don't choose. Let them come. When the thoughts are coming, don't try to suppress them. Just accept the, the fact, now this is chattering going on in my mind. Don't go in the detail. Mind is chattering. What sensation I have? At that time, whatever sensation you have, is related to those thoughts. And you are aware of the sensation, this is not eternal, this is not eternal, this is changing, changing, changing. Those thoughts will not harm you in any way. They'll be like a line drawn on the water. They won't be very effective. But if you forget your sensation and keep on rolling in the thoughts, they will become deeper and deeper and may harm you. What words can you offer in light of September 11 tragedy? A big tragedy, no doubt. It is the government's duty to look after the safety and security of the citizens. 
which the government is doing. But I feel the citizens also have got certain responsibility. Since I have come here, I meet people, I read newspapers. There is so much of fear all around, so much of impact, very unhealthy impact on the mind due to that bad incident, inhuman incident. How to come out of that, how to come out of fear, how to come out of this big impact on the mind, Vipassana helps. If you learn Vipassana, a fear comes in the mind, just accept the fact, at present there is fear in my mind. Fear due to this or that, nothing doing, fear as fear. And what sensation, according to law of nature, anything arises in the mind will arise with a sensation on the body. So let me see what sensation. If you are a good meditator, Vipassana meditator, what sensation? You keep on observing, this sensation is impermanent. It arises, passes away, not eternal. So this fear related to this sensation is also not permanent. Let me see how long it lasts. And it becomes weaker, 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 passes away. This is how you come out of your fear. So long as this fear is there, you are harming yourself, making yourself miserable. And I feel that you are supporting the terrorists. This is what the terrorists want. They want to create terror everywhere. Everywhere, even a very strong country, they must be terror in the civilians so that they all kneel down and say, Oh, Baba, we agree whatever you want. We agree to you. This is surrendering to them. Be brave. Come out of fear. Be fearless. Of course, remain alert for your safety. There's another thing. But make use of this technique to remain fearless in every situation. Many people practice Hatha Yoga along with Vipassana meditation. Do you recommend this? By Hatha Yoga, if you mean only exercise of breathing, pranayam, or physical postures, asana, nothing wrong. They are physical exercises, very healthy. One must practice that. Don't mix any other technique with meditation. Meditation technique should be avoided. Otherwise, you don't get the benefit of Vipassana. Its efficacy will be lost. So, Learn Vipassana, maintain its purity, keep on practicing, and enjoy the best fruits of Vipassana. May all of you enjoy the best fruits of Vipassana. May all of you be happy, be peaceful, be liberated.